1: Thank you for downloading the latest episode of Positively Trek. We could not do this podcast without the support of our Patreon supporters, including Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, and Jim Stoffel. If you'd like to support the podcast, please go to patreon.com slash Trek. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, and more. Thank you so much for your support. And with that, let's get on with the show.
2: So it's been a pretty good week. Just a, you know, a pretty good week. Um, I'm going on vacation soon, which is nice. Taking a whole week off, but I'm not taking any time off from Positively Trek. So, Dan, it's so good to sit here with you today.
1: Always happy to sit here and talk Trek with you. uh, Especially... With the topic we have coming up in this episode, I think this is going to be a fun one. Do you think it's going to be a popular topic or an unpopular topic? (laughs) That's a good question. I'm curious to get feedback on this.
2: Yeah, well, welcome everyone to Positively Trek. I'm Bruce Gibson with Dan Gunther, and speaking of popular things, one thing I did this week was watch the Friends Reunion on HBO Max, which is very popular. I want to bring Bill Smith from (laughs) Trek Geeks in. Bill, how popular is the Friends Reunion to you?
3: Uh, Well, first, I want to say thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I'm excited to be on the most aptly named Star Trek podcast ever. Um, Thank you. Second, it's great that you have an unpopular guest to talk about unpopular opinions. Um, Friends, I wish it's so great they're having a reunion to recount how unfunny that show is. (laughs) That show does not hold up.
2: That is an unpopular opinion.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm used to that. Um, and I, I can see that I was aptly slotted in the guest spot for this episode and, uh, I, I, I take my role seriously.
2: Yeah. I, I pay attention to what you say out there in the social medias. So I set you up for that, but that's the theme of today's show is what are there? What are the opinions out there about Star Trek? Certain things in Star Trek that are popular opinions that we may not necessarily agree with. So our opinions could be unpopular. And we're going to go through that and what what better person do that but Bill Smith? Thank
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven Thank forbid you. there be disagreement among Star Trek fans. This is unheard of i've I've not you know this is a monolithic group that just loves everything in equal measure, and i'm just I'm shocked that there would be things that we might have differences of opi- of opinion over it. It blows my mind. <laughs> I am stunned and appalled I say. I mean,
3: you know, for a fandom that loves infinite diversity and infinite combinations, I think we have to remind ourselves that at times that that also applies to diversity of thought. Now, I'm not saying that people should just be tolerant of things that are absolutely horrible. But I mean, if I love something a slightly different way than somebody else, that's okay. Um And even if I don't like something, say, in Star Trek that somebody else does, that's okay too, because ultimately we love Star Trek. And that's why we're here.
2: Yeah. And the theme of the show, of all of our shows, is positivity. So positively Trek. This is not to trash Star Trek things that people love. There are going to be things that people say that they don't like about Star Trek that we may say that we love about Star Trek. So we're still going to have a positive attitude on that. Yeah. And so we're going to go deep into that. But right before we do that, Bill, if people don't know who you are, tell them about yourself and about Trek Geeks.
3: Oh well, thank you. I'm uh, I'm, I'm Bill Smith. Um, I reside in the in the New Hampshire area, and I'm the the co-founder and the producer of Trek Geeks, the podcast, and also Trek Geeks, the podcast network. Uh, we started off as one show about six years ago, and and then we became two shows when we introduced Discovering Trek, my 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 podcast partner Dan Davidson and I, and then um, we started to say, well. We have two shows. Why don't we just turn this into a network and and try to just bring on as many positive shows that that love Star Trek as we can? And so that's kind of what we we've done. Here we are now with with ten shows happening and and maybe an eleventh or twelfth in the pipeline. And oh, by the way, we just rolled out a mobile app that will also have app exclusive podcasts there, which are short form. Wow. Um, <laughs> we're just we we just. Want people to talk about Trek the way they want to talk about Trek, and that's that's really what we do. So uh, it's part of the reason why I appreciate positively Trek so much because you guys are about your unabashed love of
1: this thing that we all admire, and I I respect the heck out of that. Awesome, yeah. I mean Trek Geeks, an amazing network, and and I'd love to hear more about the app. That's really cool. I hadn't uh, I hadn't heard that news. That's awesome. <laughs> we're in soft launch
3: mode right now as we start to add some of the app exclusive shows. Uh, Jamie Rogers from our podcast, the divine treasury, which is a Star Trek collectibles podcast. And I are doing a 15 minute next generation rewatch podcast called next gen. Um, and that will be app exclusive. There will be other shows called we love Trek, which will hopefully be the first crowd sourced Star Trek podcast. Um, and then a, a various one-off random segments from our various shows that we're going to call Appcast. Uh, we'll also have special features from the news from TruckNews.net. We are continuing our partnership with them, so you know we've got a, a great slate of content that's only going to be accessible in the app. Um, obviously, you can still listen on any of your favorite podcast platforms, but this is just a way for other people to find the the great content and the wonderful, wonderful people we have on our network.
2: That sounds like I could just live in that app and just that's all I listen to. I, I don't even know why I'm doing this podcast now. I just anything I want is in there.
3: Well, neither do I, because I listen for Dan. Oh, well, thank you.
2: I come here to get educated by Dan. All well, right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Because I'm not that bright and I admit that.
1: Yeah, same here. Man, I'm 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 turning red here, guys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, Dan, let me ask you something here cuz you did put in the notes about Trek Against
1: Hate. Tell us about that. Yeah, so this was interesting. I stumbled across this. Uh it's kind of a a group of Star Trek actors and and people involved in the Star Trek franchise and they're kind of putting their voices behind a number of groups that are working to combat hate. So uh, they, they're they pushing a number of groups such as Speak Out Against Racial Injustice, Advanced LGBTQ Plus Rights, um, Champion Women's Rights, Reform Gun Laws, all of these different groups. And uh, there's a number of different actors from Star Trek that have signed on to this and quite an impressive list here as well. So yeah, I have a, a link to this and we'll put that in the show notes as well. but. Yeah, this was interesting given, you know, some of the things that are happening in the world right now and, and some of the unfortunate circumstances we find ourselves in day to day. And it's really great to see people that have a voice like this using it to advance what I think is a very important cause. I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, on, on Trek Geeks, you know, we we came to a
3: realization last year that the world we thought we knew wasn't the world that we were really in. And we realize that for for as much as we think we've been doing well, we really can do so much better. And I think that a lot of people's eyes have been opened in the last year. Um, we've worked very hard to diversify our content and the the people we have on our network because this fandom should represent the people of this planet. Uh, but but I think that as time goes on, we're learning that it's not just one thing. We need to we need to be more understanding about a lot of things because there are a lot of things we can all do better, myself included. And I, I think this is a wonderful extension of, of Star Trek, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: It makes me think about when I was just watching, I'm not done watching it, but Woman in Motion about Michelle Nichols and, you know, her getting involved in Star Trek and And trying to represent African-Americans on the bridge or Africans on the bridge, because we're all talking about a global setting and trying to represent each continent on the bridge of the enterprise. And, you know, as time has gone on and as I've gotten older, I used to always believe that things were getting better. And I still think that things are getting better, but they're not as good as I thought they were. That's Mm -hmm. the one thing I've learned in the last couple of years.
1: Definitely. And, of course... One of the big things happening right now is the violence against Asians. And uh, one of the groups they're, they're putting their support behind is support the AAPI community. And, you know, I like to think that Star Trek fans are kind of in a unique position because we've seen this representation, as you were alluding to there, Bruce on our screens for years and i remember growing up thinking you know it's not strange to see people that look different from me in positions of authority and and that sort of thing and it's been shocking to find out that you know other people don't see that and don't understand that in a way that i i hope all star trek fans do because of this wonderful representation of diversity and inclusion that we get through the star trek franchise
2: yeah, and how many times do we look online and social media and we see somebody who's a hardcore Star Trek fan? And some of the things that come out of their mouth is like, wait, what is all this hate and not acceptance? I mean, what do you watch Star Trek? How are you not getting this? Bro, do you even trek? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I, I think that's a really great point. I mean, Star Trek has always appeared, appealed to a wide variety of individuals for a variety of reasons. I mean it, it you talk about infinite diversity and infinite combinations people love trek for different reasons and I understand that but there's a, a there's a, a really vocal minority of fans that I just cannot grasp and wrap my head around because it's like not only did they miss the message they missed the spirit they missed the intent and I it just it, it makes me scratch my head I'm comfortable with anybody loving Star Trek that wants to love Star Trek. But every now and then I kind of I kind of do what my dog does. I sort of tilt my head to the side and (laughs) have this really puzzled look on my face like, huh? So, yeah, I'm right there with you guys.
2: Yeah, that's like somebody watching Friends and finding it's not funny, but that's the message is funny. But
3: no, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) The Office is 10 times the comedy that Friends was.
2: I will agree with you. I'm not that big of a Friends fan. I'm just picking on you, but I do agree. I like The Office a lot better than Friends.
3: Thank the maker, because we were going to have to throw down Positively (laughs) on Positively Trek.
2: Well, let's change subjects then, because you know what? I found out that Canadians also like Star Trek. It's true. And that's a good thing, Dan, right? No. (laughs) No, they don't. This I cannot abide. (laughs) Well, they're going to have to put up with it because it looks like CTV has been announced that they will be carrying Strange New Worlds and Prodigy. And of course, that would transition over to Crave since Bell Media owns both.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, CTV Sci-Fi Channel, which is kind of a sister channel of CTV, uh, they've been carrying all of the recent new Star Treks. Uh, It was recently announced that they are all are also getting Strange New Worlds and Prodigy, uh, which is exciting. I did reach out to them via Twitter, the PR department for CTV Sci-Fi, as well as the PR department for Crave. Just to ask, because it's not in the announcement, will these both show up on Crave as well? I assume they will, but I was kind of looking for official word and of course they haven't gotten back to me on there, but, uh, you know, I'm sure that announcement will come soon because that's how I watch Star Trek. So I have a very selfish, self-involved, uh, important need to know that information.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I have every confidence they're going to show up there. I mean, at this point, CTV should just change the name to the Star Trek channel because, uh, I I feel like it's starting to be all they watch or all they show anyway. And I'm fine with that. (laughs) Eh?
1: Oh yeah, I'd be okay. You know, we had, uh, in the US you guys had uh, MTV, and in Canada we had a channel called Much Music, and I always wanted like a Much Trek channel, (laughs) like it's just Star Trek all the time, which I guess, you know, if if that's all you watch on your Netflix or your Paramount Plus, you can turn it into a Much Trek channel, so there you go.
2: Well, I will plug my friends over at Pluto TV, because they do have a Star Trek channel that's 24 hours of streaming Star Trek, so you can go check it out there.
3: They have to start <laughs> showing Seasons 5, 6, and 7 of Next Gen, though.
2: Have you, <laughs> you noticed? Don't, like, they, they keep stay, sticking with like Seasons 1 through 3 yeah. for the most part. Yeah, yeah,
3: every now and then 4, but it, it's rare. But yeah, 1, 2, and 3, every time I turn on, it's like, oh, look, it's The Measure of a Man again. Now, I love that episode, but come on, guys.
2: Every once in a while, I've seen them sprinkle in a Lower Decks episode or a Discovery episode every once in a blue moon. But you never know when it's coming. It just is there.
1: So. <laughs> it's like winning
2: the lottery. Yeah, <laughs> so you gotta tune in every hour just to see. Anyway, I want to get into this whole thing about our unpopular opinions regarding popular opinions of Star Trek. Okay, Dan, I I'm assuming you have your own list. right? Oh yeah, I made a list.
1: <laughs> okay, I want to
2: know what is on the. To- I already know what on the
1: top is on the top of Bill's list right now, but I want to know what's on the top of your list. Okay, this is funny because this is the first one that came to my mind, and. It's one of those things where when you come into fandom and join the internet and find out that like, oh, people don't like this episode. And as an adult, I can kind of see why, but as a kid, when I first watched it, I loved the first season Deep Space Nine episode, Move Along Home. I <laughs> I really enjoyed that episode, everything about it, the whole like, concede at the end. It's only a game. The whole Alan Moraine song. I mean, come on. Who doesn't want to hear Avery Brooks going, "Ella Moraine, count to four. It's so good. I love that episode. I enjoy it every time it's on.
3: <laughs> I'm going to second this opinion, unpopular as it may be. And I'm going to say Move Along Home is a, not only a great episode of Deep Space Nine, but it is a great episode of Star Trek, period, end of sentence. It evokes a third season TOS vibe. And I am all over it. I'm here for it all day long. And it's, uh, you know, if you want to talk about a bad Deep Space Nine episode, let's talk about the Muse. It's not that episode. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not Aquiel from TNG. It's not exactly, that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I think it's really enjoyable. I think it's fun and it keeps our characters inside of the characters we know instead of breaking them out of the box too soon and gives them a really kind of Star Trek like situation. I'm here for it.
2: Yeah. I mean, when I first saw that episode when it aired, I liked it. I didn't think anything bad about it. And it wasn't until years later that I'm online and everybody's just making fun of this episode and trashing it. I was like, oh, I guess it's not a good episode. I don't know. I like it. My kids, who are not big Star Trek fans, even know that little song, that little ditty, because they'll <laughs> sing it every once in a while. We just do it for fun. But, Bill, I'm glad you said TOS Season 3, because that's what I always thought. That episode yep. feels like a TOS episode, which I think makes it fun. So, all right. so we all have the same unpopular opinion on that episode. That's a good one. And I knew, Bill, that was on your list, too. So, when Dan said that, I was like, ooh, that's nice. We're thinking a lot of likes. So, let's go, <laughs> Bill, to what's on the top of your list right
3: now. Well, I'm pretty sure this is not going to be a, a unanimous thing here in, on the dais. Um, And this is probably one of the most unpopular opinions that I hold when it comes to Star Trek. Uh, And I'm told that it's wrong. I'm told that I have no idea what I'm talking about. and And I'm happy to be told that. But I still believe that Yesterday's Enterprise is not one of the top 10 episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. It's an average episode at best. It's a poorly constructed dimensional shift episode. And um, I I think that it sets up events later on in next gen that make absolutely no sense. So if I look at that as sort of the seed of that indiscretion, um, I'm really not a big fan of yesterday's enterprise. And discuss.
1: Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I, I will say I'm I don't share this opinion. I love yesterday's enterprise for a myriad of reasons. Your point, though, about what it spawns later in the next generation. I absolutely agree. I think some of that stuff is muddled and ridiculous and doesn't make any sense. And I do have to say, I have one friend uh, to whom I, I, I have shown all of Star Trek. We've watched all of Star Trek together because she watched the Star Trek 2009 film and was like, I really want to watch the rest of Star Trek. So we started TOS all the way through. And she is not a fan of yesterday's Enterprise either, which was shocking to me at the time. And I think you are literally the second person now in my life who, who has said that. So it's it's not a completely unknown opinion. So I, I, I get it because she has articulated her reasons and they they they're very similar to what you said as well.
3: It's just, it's an episode that's nonsensical to me. Uh, people go, well, you know, it's, it's, it's an alternate universe story. It's like, no, it's not. It's the same universe altered. That's a, Mm -hmm. it's a very different thing. Usually when Trek does a, a time travel or an altered timeline kind of thing, there's at least one character in the main cast that says, Oh, this isn't right. We have to get back to where we are. Gainen doesn't really count in this case because Gainen doesn't really know; she just has a feeling. So this mm. is definitely a, a, a shift of this timeline that has been altered because you know, obviously, the crew's a little different. So I, it just it it sets wrong with me the whole way. I don't think that I don't think it's an accurate depiction of what might have happened in that timeline. I, I think that there's a lot of it that goes against the grain, and I just I. As much as it's not a terrible episode, I just don't like it.
2: Who invited you to this show? Um, <laughs> mm. Mm.
3: Yeah, I, I wonder. I have to have a
2: talk with that person.
3: Fire okay. him. Yeah.
2: So, uh, so I want to ask you about that, Bill. So when you saw this episode, was it when it first aired or did you see it later? You saw it when it first aired. I saw it when it first aired. Okay, because I remember the time watching it at the time, and I thought that was a pretty solid episode compared to what was going on at the time. I mean, season three was a much improved season over the other two. Definitely. But at the same time, I never thought of it as being like in my top ten. But I thought hmm. it was a good episode. I thought it was a fun episode. I even read the book by, what was it, Eric Stilwell yeah. was the one? Who, I read his book about it. Um, But I never realized until, again, going online and talking to other fans is how much they regard this as probably one of the best episodes of TNG. I was always like, it's good, but it's not that good, at least in my opinion. So it looks like I'm kind of in the middle between you guys. If I stand it up against
3: episodes that truly are great in the pantheon of Star Trek, and I'm talking about episodes like The City on the Edge of Forever, The Visitor, The Inner Light, it just does not measure up in any way. I, there's no way I can put it in my top 10 because there were at least 10 next-gen episodes that are better than yesterday's Enterprise, in my opinion. So, is it terrible, Star Trek? No. But I just, I don't, as an episode, I just really don't like it. Um, I mean, obviously, it's Star Trek. I love Star Trek. I love next-gen. But if this episode's on, if we were doing a see it or skip it like we do on Trek Geeks, there's a good chance that I'm going to skip it.
2: So, I'm, I'm just curious, though. What ranks higher, Move Along Home or Yesterday's Enterprise?
3: For me, Move Along Home, actually.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's commitment. I like that. Yeah.
3: I mean, I, I really enjoy Move Along Home because I think there's a fun quality to it. Um, there's so much that is unrecognizable as the next generation and that shift in the, in the timeline that it, it takes me right out of it. And the fact that, that Guinan kind of has an inkling, I think, is probably one of the weakest parts of the episode. Um, if she just knew de facto and said, look, dude, this isn't right. I know that w- – I, I know we have to get us back to where we have to be. But Guyana gets kind of wishy-washy about it. She knows something's not right. She knows that Tasha isn't supposed to be there. But – and that's really the extent of it. Um, and then the uh, – don't get me started on what happens to Tasha. That's fine. Um, it, it's terrible. But, you know, it just it's
1: it's just not an episode I enjoy. That's what I have to keep going back to. So you would you would agree with Picard in that that episode when he says there's no logic to this at all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely I would.
3: <laughs> and there's even less logic when we get Sila later
1: on. I, I I I absolutely agree with that. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> so you're of the opinion of Picard also of not good enough. Not good enough.
3: Yes. That episode, not good enough.
2: <laughs> well, hey, the best thing about me taking the lead on this episode is I don't have to state any of my opinions on anything. So uh, I get off. Well, no, I don't get off. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, no, I will state something. Uh, So I do like these are the voyages from Star Trek Enterprise. So it's not, I don't think it's a great episode. I remember watching at the time feeling a bit awkward, not so much about the Riker Troy being there, but uh, trip's death and just other things that just seemed like it was kind of slapped together. It wasn't well edited or something like that. Like it was rushed, but I did like it at the time because I knew the Berman era, if you want to call it that was coming to an end and it was nice to see TNG, a bit of TNG and then interviews with each of the crew members, giving them a time in the spotlight at the end. And then It was also a portrayal of these people. This this crew was not forgotten. It's two decades later and people still remember them and what they did for history. And I liked that message. And again, I don't think it's a great episode. I don't like seeing that the crew hadn't been promoted in a decade and that sort of thing, but I don't think it deserves the hate it gets. I get why it doesn't, it gets that hate because it is a finale and people expect more. I don't think it's the best finale I think TNG, Voyager, and Deep Space Nine are much better finales, but I like this finale better than the TOS finale, for sure. <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I have to agree with that. Uh, I, you know, I'd say i take ninety nine percent. I think it's a great finale for the Berman era, and that's really about it. It's not a terrible episode. It's really not even a terrible finale. It's just not up to the level of those other ones, like you, like you say, Bruce. Um, there are some things I wish they they would have pulled back in that episode. I I personally am kind of indifferent about the death of Trip because I figured that because this was pre-TOS, one of the main characters was going to die at some point. I just don't know why I felt that. I just, I always thought it was going to happen. The fact that it was Trip was a little surprising, but okay. But um, I, 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 I do think it gets a disproportionate amount of hate. I don't think it deserves it, quite frankly, because as an episode of Star Trek, it's really not bad.
1: Yeah. For me, my, my dislike of it, I've talked about it. I'm not a big fan of this episode, but the thing is, I think it is because it's the finale of enterprise and it felt like a bit of a slap in the face to the cast of the show. And they've come out, a bunch of them have come out and said that they actually feel that way. But the episode itself with some minor changes. I I really don't like the death of trip, but that's, that's a creative choice that, you know, we could name a hundred creative choices in a hundred episodes that I have issues with, but it's position as the finale is what really gets to me. If this was the second last episode of enterprise, or even if it was like a special that aired two years later or something like that, that wasn't supposed to be the final episode for this crew, I feel like my feelings towards it would be a lot better uh and also just the fact that all the other shows got a nice big 2-hour finale and Enterprise didn't. That that always just kind of sticks in my craw a little bit. I wanted a big nice TV movie to end the the show with. But yeah, yeah it does get a lot of hate and probably mostly undeserved.
2: Well, I don't like it if I ever mention it. People go, "Oh no, you the The episode that shall not be named, or whatever, like people don't even <laughs> let me talk about it. It's like, oh, okay, it's that bad. Okay, I get, but I I don't like the death of Trip that much. But what I do like that came out of this episode are the novels because I love how the novels play off of this. Agreed,
1: uh, absolutely. They've
2: really set up interesting storylines. I thought from this, but
3: I haven't read those. Um, I know that I'm with a couple of guys who've done a, read a lot of novels, um, and I usually concentrate on books that have lots of pictures. Um, I'm not sure why.
2: (laughs) Well, there's only one book of enterprise that has pictures and it's a comic and it's about Porthos.
3: Oh, see, I'm a dog person. That's right up
1: my alley. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Porthos, the time traveling dog in that, in that one. Yep. I must get this. It's an interesting one. (laughs) Yeah.
2: It's up there with move along home.
1: (laughs) Um, Wow. Wow.
2: Well at least That's it's saying a lot. At
3: least it's a hundred times better than Friends or Yesterday's Enterprise.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Okay, Dan, is there anything else you want to bring up on
1: your list? Uh yeah, I'll bring up one that um, I'm, I'm looking at my list and I'm actually gonna jump around here because I want to find one. Okay, here. I like this one. Riker is not that good of an officer. That is my opinion. He gets talked up all the time. Picard says he's the best, and and all this stuff. But like, let's look at the record. So, I can pick out tons of episodes here. Samaritan Snare in season two. He lets the Paklids get the drop on them. He turns over their chief engineer. He gets kidnapped. Uh, there's the whole thing with Captain Jellico. He's insubordinate. He's not a good first officer there. Uh, We find out that he aided his captain in covering up the Pegasus incident. And it's for all of these reasons that I think they keep offering him a captaincy. But when the Enterprise-D is destroyed, which I think is the biggest red mark in Riker's Ledger, if you watch that, he doesn't even attempt to, to eject the warp core. They just abandon the star drive section and then crash the saucer section. The next time we see him, he is still first officer on a whole new starship. And I feel like they offered him the captaincy so many times they would have said, no, no, you have to be promoted out of that position. But because he was so negligent in losing the Enterprise D, they said, no, we're not offering him another captaincy, at least until Titan later, which I still think is kind of undeserved.
2: I think I know why, because if somebody on the council... Stated what you just said and gave that track record. Nobody's going to give Riker a ship.
1: No, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it, it's, yeah, it's appalling when you really look at, at his record. I think he is not a good commanding officer. Now, maybe he gets better and you know, we see that later on, but man, given his track record, as first officer of the enterprise, I think he does not deserve a command. I'm kind of on the fence about this. Cause there are times where Riker
3: is, is great and there were times where Riker is anything but. I mean, you brought up Chain of Command, which is always my first complaint about the writing of Riker. You know, they take mm-hmm. him from a reasonably competent officer to somebody who is essentially a spoiled brat with yeah. no regard for the chain of command, especially the eye roll he gives Necheyev in the opening scene. And when, she, right? when he finds that out that he's not really going to get command, like, oh, really?
2: Yeah.
3: You know, it's like, dude, rein it in. She's a flag officer. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love Riker. I mean, how could I not? But you're not wrong. Now, in Generations, (laughs) which by the way, another unpopular opinion of mine, which I didn't put on my list, is that I hate Generations. Uh, It's the worst Star Trek film ever. Uh, But I I thought they couldn't eject the core, which is why they had to separate.
1: If you watch the scene at, at no point do, does Riker ever give the order to eject the core now, like every single time it's been ordered up to this point in any episode and stuff, they say the ejection systems are offline. That does not happen in generations. Jordy says, uh, we've got a warp core breach. He does say there's nothing I can do. But that's, that's all he says to the bridge. We've got a warp core breach. There's nothing that I can do. Yeah. We've got 60 seconds or whatever. The next scene, it goes right to the bridge and Riker says, Deanna, evacuate the star drive section and prepare to separate the ship. That's it. There's no even attempt to eject the warp core or anything like that.
3: Further so. cementing my opinion on Generations.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> You know, it's funny you say that you don't like Generations because I almost put that on the list of being a movie that I like where I feel most people say they don't like. Now, it's not in my probably the top half of my favorite movies, but I still like Generations. But I feel a lot of people I talk to say they don't like it.
3: Oh, it's not that I don't like it. I think it's worse than any of the other Star Trek movies, including The Final Frontier and Nemesis.
1: Wow. Wow.
3: Because it fails at its primary job bridging the two crews. The other ones have at least a cohesive story, which I'm using an air quotes. Um but <laughs> generations it, generations, even if you listen to the the uh the audio commentary from Moore and Braga, it was a laundry list of things that the studio wanted to see and that's it. And oh, yeah. it just it doesn't work. So I'm sorry I, I derailed us. My apologies. No.
1: Riker, I kind of love Riker, but I see what you're saying. Now I want to go on the record. I absolutely love Riker too. He's one of my favorite characters, but I have to be honest, if I'm sitting on that board at Starfleet Command, that's deciding whether to give him a captaincy. I, there's there's a lot of questionable things that I'm, I'm looking at here.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I think he's better than a lot of other captains we've met. I don't mean some of the leads in the series, but other captains that oh, have absolutely. guest
1: appearances. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe if you rank him compared to others, he looks pretty good. maybe yes starfleet just scrapes the bottom of the barrel because (laughs) they have some really bad captains like that could be
3: (laughs) well in fairness i mean look at kirk and how many times he violates the prime directive just in the first season of tos um if we're going to use that as our benchmark Riker's not so bad (laughs) that's a
2: good point yeah (laughs) all right bill uh, what else do you want to talk about that's
3: on your list? I'm going to skip around my list a little bit, um, and I'm going to head for something str- almost in the middle. And I'm going to say uh, three words that I'm sure will incite a lot of, of Next Generation fans, and that is no more Worf. Seriously, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with Worf. That character has had more screen time in televised Star Trek than any other, and that's a verifiable fact. He's been in more episodes of Star Trek than anyone else. His character arc has been so crafted and well arced that, I mean, there's really little more we can tell or learn about Worf that's valuable. I have no interest in a Captain Worf series. None. I'm done. Show us some of the other characters that didn't get as much screen time. I thought that the examination of Deanna Troy and Nepenthe was fantastic in Star Trek Picard. That's the kind of thing I want to see. Show me Geordi. Tell me what's happened at Beverly, but I'm done with Wharf guys.
2: <laughs> I can't disagree that much. I mean, I like Wharf. If they did come up with a Captain Wharf show, I would definitely get excited about it because it's something new and another series. But to your point, I when I heard about these rumblings of Michael Dorn trying to push for a Captain Wharf series, I remember thinking at the time like Oh, can we get somebody? I mean, we've had enough Worf. I, I, to your point, I need somebody else. We've had Worf in two series. We even had him his grandfather in one of the movies. Like, we can get beyond Worf and maybe explore some different characters. Yeah, I, I can see that.
1: This is funny because those of you listening who might have heard me on Literary Treks talking about this kind of phenomenon, it, it, my thesis is that Star Trek is the story of Worf simply because as Bill, you said he appears in more episodes, has more screen time than any other character. Star Trek, the original series was all just a preamble to get us to in- be introduced to to Colonel Worf, his grandfather in Star Trek VI, kicking off the story that we see of this young lieutenant in the early days of The Next Generation and his career going through it. Star Trek is just the story of Worf. And I, I say that all tongue in cheek. I, I generally agree with you. So he has a lot of screen time. I want to see more. But yeah, so th- that's been my long running joke. <laughs> if all other
3: Star Trek is really a preamble to Worf, does it mean I can no longer make a fan film called Prelude to Worf?
1: <laughs> i mean it would fit right in I, I think i think that's right in star trek's wheelhouse yeah this is all this has all just been to show us Warp, and i'm waiting for the big finale of star trek picard where we realize this has all been in service to the character of warf somehow that's amazing
2: Well, that just means we're going to see Worf in Star Trek Picard at some point.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He somehow survived to the 32nd century and will appear in Discovery. Mark my words. It's going to... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I
3: expected Worf to be running the Emerald Chain, quite frankly.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Well, speaking of characters, I'll bring up something on my list here. And that is Seven of Nine. Now, I do love this character. I... I am a favorite. She is a favorite of mine, but at the time when they brought her on as, Ooh, the sex appeal, I'm like, she's not doing anything for me. Like, I don't see the whole, Oh, look at Jerry Ryan in that cat suit as seven of nine. Ooh, look how sexy she is. And I'm like, the character does not come across as sexy to me, nor does Jerry Ryan in that, that uniform. So I don't know if it's a popular opinion that she's hot, but she's not hot in my book.
3: I just want to know why you were dead inside at that time of your life.
2: <laughs> I had just gotten married. I, um,
3: I, I can't disagree. Um, it, it was horrible the way the whole situation was handled. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, Jennifer lean, uh, you know, being essentially dismissed from the show in favor of, uh, the person who would eventually be Jerry Ryan. Um, I, I, it says a lot about the Berman era that that was the decision. Um, it's it's unfortunate. Yes, we did get what became eventually an amazing character thanks to the writers and thanks to Jerry herself. But the rationale and the impetus behind it is really one that I think rubbed a lot of Star Trek fans the wrong way. And I think if, if we still talk about that history openly and honestly, it should.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean – you know, Jerry Ryan, obviously an attractive person and putting her in a ridiculous cat suit meant to attract the male gaze and all that stuff. But talk about something that's just completely out of left field with regards to what this character is supposed to be. That's where I, it really falls down for me. I mean, I was a young teenager when Voyager was coming out. And of course I thought, you know, Ooh, great to see sexy curves and stuff, but, you know, looking back on it and going like, what is this character supposed to be? And, you know, seeing a, an interview with Brandon Braga, where he says literally the words, we had the idea to bring a Borg onto the show. So I thought, why not make it a sexy Borg? And I'm like, that was your thought process. Like that was the creative input that went into making these decisions. It blows my mind. And I'm, 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 I'm slowly putting the soapbox away. I'm not going to get all ranty, but (laughs) it just, it really, it's, it's disappointing. It's pretty gross. And uh, yeah, I, I don't like that. I don't like what Jerry Ryan had to do for that character. To make it like, ooh, we want to get 15-year-old boys really excited about this show.
3: Speaking of someone whose heritage is half Canadian, that was the most pleasant soapbox I've ever heard in my life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to step up onto it, but I didn't quite. I was like, okay, no, 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 no. This isn't, Yeah. But anyway,
2: <laughs> if you're trying to make Jerry Ryan as seven nine sexy, I think she's more sexy in Star Trek Picard than she was in Voyager. Hell yes.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, because I think the character also has come into her own since then. You know, I, I think the other problem was that, you know, she was this, you know, former Borg or let's call her an XB since that seems to be the terminology now on you know so, so trying to discover her humanity, which I mean, happens at least once a series. And she became that character. And it just, there were times where it was way too forced. You know, I mean, it, 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 it got to the point where Seven was far too overused in Voyager. Uh, because at the expense of other characters, like the Chicotes and the Harry Kims and some of the others. So I, I can appreciate what you're saying. Um, and I think it had further reaching ramifications, honestly, because of that mindset.
2: So since we're on characters, real quick, does anybody have a character on their list that's an unpopular opinion that you have about that character?
1: Maybe. <laughs> I have, yeah, I'd, I'd say a couple that I still have to draw from here. Such as? Uh, I mean, I'm, I share this opinion with a lot of other people I've met, but I really like Dr. Pulaski. I think I too. she brought a really interesting dynamic to Star Trek The Next Generation, and I'm sad to see her character has never been revisited since season two of TNG, and I would love to see more of her interaction with the, the crew of the next gen. I agree. She was on my list too, for those reasons.
3: Um, I, I have a, a rather unpopular uh, opinion when it comes to a particular character. And I always have to preface it this way because people assume that I'm making a statement against the actor or actors who have played this character. I love Walter Koenig. I loved Anton Yelchin. I can't stand Chekhov. I would airlock that character in a heartbeat. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it, especially in Tos, he's a horribly written character. He, there's there's no definition provided to him. Yes, I get that. You know, it, it was a second tier character. I get that he was a day player for all intents and purposes, and not in every episode. But there there really wasn't a whole lot of value that Chekhov added. He was there mainly for a little comic relief every now and then. You know, with the little lady from Leningrad. Um, it just—it's it, a character I've just never really enjoyed, and I think that they could have—they could have given us a better version of Chekhov. I think that the JJ movies tried for that. I wish we had had more time with Anton Yelchin as Chekhov because I think there would have been a lot more growth there. But as far as Chekhov as a character is concerned, he's not my favorite at all.
2: I didn't like mm. how they made him a chief of security in the movies. I, that just didn't yeah. seem right to me.
3: Yeah, it didn't. I didn't understand that either. But you know, once you've <laughs> Once you've been shot dead multiple times, once you've been put in an agony booth, um, you know, once you've been a navigator, what what career track is there? <laughs>
1: <laughs> he wants yeah. to feel secure. <laughs> With regards to Chekhov, I I like like the step back kind of overall idea of the character and what he represented like the idea of having a russian on the bridge in the height of the cold war i think on paper the character is really interesting but i can't disagree with you on the day to day execution of that character about how uh he was used and and was you know comic relief most of the time a bit of a caricature you know let's make him look like one of the monkeys kind of thing yeah, it's a little unfortunate. I, I would have liked a very professional, real Russian character. Um, and I think he becomes that maybe in the films, but in the, in the TOS series, yeah, he's, he's pretty goofy. Sulu and Uhura have more definition
3: than Chekhov does. You get the mm-hmm. sense of their competencies as an officer. Um, you know, with Chekhov, you never really get that because he's just the young kid. And I mean, we know why he was brought in because they wanted a younger presence there. Um, and they gave him the mop top for a reason. So, I mean, I understand it. I just, he's, he's not my favorite character.
2: I mean, I like the character, but I remember watching TOS and thinking, why did they write this character in when they weren't giving enough lines to Hora and Sulu? Why not just beef them up more? Why did they have to bring somebody else in? Now, I know the reasons why, like the monkeys and all that, but still.
3: Well, I mean, and that kind of piggybacks on one of my other unpopular opinions is that as much as people want to think of the original series as an ensemble cast, it was not. Mm -hmm. It was three stars. That was the ensemble. It was Shatner, it was Nimoy, and it was Kelly. And that's the way it was. The other actors, as much as we love them and as much as they became part of an ensemble in the movies, were not in an ensemble cast in the sixties. And I think that the fandom tends to look at that with, with rose colored glasses to some degree. I love the moments we get with those characters, but I get why we didn't get enough of them. It's because they, they were background, honestly. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. I agree 100%. I've heard statements of Star Trek was the first series to have an ensemble cast. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not. To your point, it's got three stars in it. And the rest are support players. They don't have that much. If it was an ensemble cast, then we would see those characters have their own storylines in certain episodes where they're the prominent character. And we don't get that. We get very Mm -hmm. little of them. And I mean... In the 60s, this premiered in 66. I mean, you could say the Andy Griffith show was more of an ensemble cast than (laughs) Star Trek. You can't say Star Trek was the first to bring an ensemble cast to TV. No.
3: The other Star Trek shows did it really well as far as having an ensemble cast. My hat's off to them. But people want to look at TOS in the same light. and, And you really can't. It's kind of comparing... You know, um Star Trek Discovery today to, to Star Trek the Next Generation in the in the way it's produced and the way it's made and the way it's architected. You can't do it. You know, TOS was a different show for a different time. And I love it, but I mean the facts about it are just the facts.
1: Absolutely, yeah. No, I can't disagree with that. I it it's right there in the opening credits, right? For the first season it was William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy, and then seasons two and three, it was the two of them plus DeForest Kelly. And the closing credits, you see those other names flash across the screen really fast. They are, like you said, they're, they're guest stars brought in. They're not, they're never the main focus. There's even, you know, there are maybe a couple, what you would say, Scotty episodes. And I feel like if the series continued into season four and five, we might've gotten a bit of a shift and more of a focus on those characters. But that didn't happen. It was those three stars. Absolutely.
2: Well, we had two of the characters. They were never given first names.
1: That didn't come until much, much later. Yeah.
2: Okay. Here's an unpopular opinion of mine about a certain character, Vic Fontaine. I like the character, but man, the way people talk about him, like he's like the best character. I don't get, I mean, he's fun yeah, you can go and visit him in the hollow suite and Hey Pally. Yeah. Let me give you a bit of advice or whatever. That's all cool and stuff. But man, people talk about like, he's like one of the best characters of deep space nine. And I'm just like, he's okay. Yeah. Interesting. That, that's
1: funny. Yeah. I'm, I'm when I haven't seen a lot of people saying that he's the best character. That's funny. I, I, I see a lot of polarization on him because I hear a lot of people that are like, I can't stand Vic Fontaine. And a lot of people that like, like him fine so um, that's interesting yeah I mean I I really like Vic Fontaine and and I think he's a great addition I didn't like him so much when it first aired I was kind of like I don't get this in retrospect rewatching now I'm like oh man Vic Fontaine what a cool addition but uh, yeah there's a lot of hate for him out there I see sometimes too. well I'm
2: not even aware of that then because I haven't really talked to many people about him but I just know my experience of like doing shows where he appears like in a in a comic or a novel and we're talk to the authors and they'll say like, I mean, who doesn't love Vic Fontaine? I had to put him (laughs) in there and I'm like, okay, I guess everybody loves him. (laughs) I I like Vic Fontaine, uh, Vic Fontaine.
3: Sorry. I can't even say it today. Um, I love Jimmy Darren. I mean, so it's, it's no stretch for me to love Vic Fontaine, but part of me always wondered why they, they gave him kind of the counselor role on deep space nine when they had a a counselor there in the form of Esri. Right. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. That's true. I just
3: I don't understand that part. I think that I think that he was an essential character for Nog, mm-hmm. um, for Nog's journey. I thought that he was pivotal in bringing Odo and Kira together. Um, and, and beyond that, I, I think that he he's rather enjoyable. I mean, I I love the Rat Pack. I love that whole vibe. I get, I get it. Uh, I appreciated the commentary that he prompted as a part of "Bada Bing, Bada Bang. Um, You know, in Cisco's reluctance to want to to engage in that particular Holosuite program. So I think he served a lot of purposes in Deep Space Nine, even just as far as commentary. Um, But love seems really strong. I like him. I don't know that I love him, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's how I am. Yep. Okay. well, maybe my opinion isn't all that unpopular.
1: In certain circles, it might be, though. So. That's your experience, right? That that you've seen. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So what else do you have, Dan? Okay. I have a, a bit of an out there one that I kind of had to write out here. Uh, and this kind of goes back to Star Trek First Contact and something that was established about Star Trek lore then. And my unpopular opinion is that saying that humanity eliminated war, disease, poverty in 50 years was a bit of lazy storytelling and robbed Enterprise of great opportunities to tell that story. So Mm. it kind of, it's one of those things that a little bit bugs me that by the time we get to Enterprise, which is set a hundred years before the original series, we already have A humanity that has eliminated all of these big issues and problems where when they announced that series, I thought this will be a really cool way to show us getting there to show us, you know, emerging from some of those issues and that sort of thing. But again, like I said, it dates back to first contact when when Deanna basically says to Zefram Cochran, war, disease, poverty, they'll all be gone in the next 50 years because of of what happens here. And I would have liked to have seen some of that, how that happened rather than just like a miracle occurred and we're all better now. I love that. I wish we would have seen more of that too. I'm, I'm
2: on, I hadn't thought about that, but yes, I totally agree with that. I would have loved to have seen that when they announced enterprise and they were like, Oh, this is going to be a different star Trek series. It's going to feel more like t- today, more contemporary. I was so excited to see what the starship would look like. Cause I thought it would look nothing like the enterprise it's going to look like more like a, a rocket or something like that. It's going to be so different. And then when the, when the series premiered, I'm like,
1: it just feels like every other star Trek series. It's just a different Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the big thing. Now I will say they did a bit of course correction, I think in season four and they introduced some elements like Terra prime. And we still see that there are some of those elements and that kind of thing. But if you watch like seasons one and two of enterprise, which I enjoy, I like the series. It does feel like this story. A and B could take place during TNG or TOS or Voyager. It feels very much like we've got a ship, we've got a transporter, we've got all this stuff already. It's just kind of like, you know, if you're going to have that time period, make stories that are necessary to be in that time period. And again, like I said, season four, they kind of, started down that path a bit. Manny Coto coming in and being the showrunner there I think really helped out a lot. But those season 1 and 2 some of those stories they really feel like they could have just been in the future of Star Trek.
3: Yeah, you brought me around on this cuz I wasn't sure how I felt about it uh, until you you got to that point just now and I have to agree with you. I mean, I've thought for a long time that Enterprise has the weakest first season of any live action Star Trek. In fact, that's one of my unpopular opinions on my list. Um, it's just, it's not great. And I think that people look at it with rose colored glasses because enterprise got canceled quite honestly. Um, but when you put it in those terms and with that framework, I, I I have to agree because it's absolutely true. Um, it would have been nice to sort of have that explanation in hindsight, it might've seemed a little bit like Caprica and there might've been the danger that it could have turned into a little soap opera ish. Yeah, um, But mm-hmm. I think they could have struck a balance with the writing team that they had, or at least the writing team they wound up with in the end. Um, you know, Perhaps if they'd had some of those individuals writing some of those scripts, it would have looked a little differently. Um, and I think that there was a, a vast change, as you say, when Manny Cotto came on and Brandon Braga wasn't running the, the writer's room anymore. I think that that's when Enterprise probably had its greatest gains as far as character development. So no, I, I find I have to
2: agree with that. Yeah, you're, I think I actually think you're spot on. Yeah, Dan, I think you need to rewrite Enterprise. No, although I like <laughs> Enterprise, I'd like to see that version of it. But we are running short on time, so I want to put the last one on Bill to pick his next favorite unpopular opinion.
3: Oh man, this is tough because I've got I've got five really good ones. Um, <laughs> um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that's a bit you know, heretical to some extent as a Star Trek fan, and that is that. Matt Jeffrey's original Enterprise design is just okay. It's not amazing. It doesn't look good on screen. If you light it, it it doesn't look fantastic. It didn't become amazing until Star Trek The Motion Picture. And that's when I fell in love with that design. Because no matter how you light it or how you look at it, it is striking. It is bold. Now, don't get me wrong. I have an affection for the original Enterprise because it's it's where I got my start on Star Trek. I mean, I'm wearing it on my T-shirt right now. But <laughs> but if you look at it on screen, it doesn't evoke the same sense of, of boldly going that the TMP Enterprise does. It's a good chip for a TV show of the time it's not a ship that says hey we're going to the future and i think that that's what the tmp enterprise does that's that's my very unpopular take on the enterprise
1: yeah i mean i I maybe wouldn't put it in as strong terms as you just did but like the tmp the the refit enterprise is absolutely my favorite star trek ship design ever so i absolutely get where you're coming from there and um yeah that makes sense you know
2: And I'm glad that they redesigned the Enterprise for Discovery and Strange New Worlds.
1: Oh, it's so gorgeous. Agreed. Absolutely. It is the
3: perfect cross between the motion picture Enterprise and the TOS Enterprise. If those two got together and had a little Enterprise love child, that's what it would look like. And I think it's the perfect homage to both, quite frankly.
1: So I'm going to make a little proposal here since we are short on time. And I think all three of us still have some more unpopular opinions. Another podcast I listen to does uh, bring out your dead round where there's no commentary. You just kind of list everything else on your list really fast. And uh, I think we should do that because I'm curious to see what else other people have.
2: That sounds good. I like it. That sounds good.
1: Uh, Bill. Since
2: you're the guest, go first.
3: All right. I'm going to run through them uh, in, a, in a random order. Uh, the animated series absolutely is canon. Discovery is far more Star Trek than people really want to admit. And the people who don't want to admit it really haven't looked at it in that light. William Shatner does not overact. And that's a criticism that neither he nor I understand. And lastly, Spock's brain is a great episode of Star Trek. And anybody who says it's the worst doesn't get it. Awesome. Yes.
2: I love those. And remember, this is the man that doesn't like yesterday's Enterprise, but loves move along home people. <laughs> 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 now that's good. I, li-
1: I like that list. Dan, what about yours? Okay. my bring out the dead. Captain Jellicoe did nothing wrong. I'm a big fan of Ezri Dax. I love Star Trek, the motion picture. The Prime Directive is immoral. Star Trek is not sci- hard sci-fi. And I love Keiko and her relationship with Miles. Wow.
3: <laughs> I love the one you saved for the end. That is awesome. Dan Davidson
1: would have some words for you. Interesting. Well, maybe we'll make that an episode sometime.
2: <laughs> I agree with just about all of that, actually. So, <laughs> I think we're all on the same page for the most part. So maybe our unpopular opinions aren't that unpopular. You know? At we least not among it. us. <laughs> At least among <laughs> us. <laughs> okay, real quick. Um, I like Star Trek Into Darkness quite a bit. I like Neelix. I probably like him more now than I used to. He's grown on me even more. He's, he's a character that's really grown on me. Um, Alex Kurtzman, great job. I do like all the new Star Trek series. They are Star Trek. Uh, there's too much emphasis on canon. I could give a <laughs> Uh Cosplay, I don't do it. I don't really get it, but I'm glad people love to do it. <laughs> William Shatner, sometimes a bit much. I don't know. If that, that's probably a popular opinion. And then uh, the Star Trek Enterprise opening, the song doesn't bother me that much. It's terrible. It's, it's okay. But uh, it, the thing I don't like, one thing I don't like about it is it doesn't belong to Star Trek. It started on Patch Adams. So it's right. not a Star Trek.
1: See, song. okay, I, I I love the, the sorry, the, the, so you hate it. You don't mind it. I love it. I love that we have like the range of opinions of the Enterprise theme. Sorry. And I just want to <laughs> say if
3: anybody truly believes that a 90 year old man sits in his living room on Twitter all day talking about things that really have nothing to do with anything, Um, that he's ever done then i've got a bridge to sell you because um yeah
2: i'll tell you what i admire about william shatner is he's so active at his age that that inspires me
3: that's the other reason i don't think he sits on twitter all day Mm -hmm. i think somebody else does it for him but we'll see yeah
2: Yeah,
1: i agree with that absolutely
2: All right. Well, those are good. And I'm sure we'll think of more later afterwards. Like, oh, I should have brought up this. Oh, whatever. And I'd love to hear the listeners, what they have to say, what their unpopular opinions are, or your comments on what we've said, if we're right or wrong, if you agree or disagree. So Bill, where can people find you online if they want to argue with you about your opinions?
3: (laughs) Or tell me how much (laughs) they love them. Yeah, that's going (laughs) to happen. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at TrekGeekBill. And of course, uh, for all things Trek Geeks, you can uh, head on over to TrekGeeks.com.
1: I'm on Twitter at KurtRatz on YouTube, youtube.com slash Productions and in the Positively Trek discussion group. And I'm on Twitter
2: at Admiral underscore Rex. I was recently on an episode of The Expanse about Enterprise. I was on a recent episode of Star Wars Bookworms and a recent episode of Literary Trek. So check those out. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. Thank you to our patrons on Patreon. We can't do this without your support. And I want to say to everyone out there, Even though we gave unpopular opinions, we want you to stay positive.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.